Hi everyone, this is Working Title, the podcast where we, four intrepid, handsome, intelligent, and entirely fraudulent reviewers, watch and review IMDb's top 250 English language movies as of November 2019, going from bottom to top. So watch along with us, and... Feel the rhythm! Feel the rhyme! Get up! It's podcast time! I nailed it. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Working Title, the podcast where we review the top 250 English language movies on IMDb. And uh, this is episode 39 for us, and we are on to um, something of a rarity for us, a comedy movie. We're watching Young Frankenstein uh, today. So this is, um, yeah, this list is fairly light on comedies, and you can imagine that you know, a lot of comedies are probably not high art um so not a lot of them get voted up to the top you know the the tippy top here but uh young frankenstein is certainly an exception um young frankenstein what is it okay so it's a 1974 it's, movie it's frankenstein yeah frankenstein damn it you beat me to frankenstein it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a movie about Froderick frankenstein um <laughs> Uh, so it's a Mel Brooks movie, uh, made in 1974, uh, starring, uh, sort of that perennial Mel Brooks partner, Gene Wilder, and, uh, sort of a, a parody slash sequel slash homage to like the, the multitude of Frankenstein horror movies that were made, you know, in the thirties, forties and fifties. Um, it's black and white as a stylistic choice, which I know you always love June, um, but yeah, it's, I think it's pretty widely regarded as like one of the most iconic comedies ever. Yeah. Mel Brooks is definitely kind of a comedy icon. So with that said, before we get talking about what actually happens in this movie and what we thought about it, let's introduce the reviewers here in the studio with us. Uh, and just as a little prompt to get us, uh, introduced what musical number, you know, in this movie, Frederick Frankenstein, um, performs putting on the Ritz with uh, his monster as a way of presenting him to the world. What musical number would we have uh, had Frederick Frankenstein and his monster perform? I'll start first. Uh, I am Jack, and if I had to pick a musical number for this one, uh, I would have them perform The Confrontation from Les Mis. God nice. damn it! God. Nice. <laughs> well, I'm fucked. God damn it. <laughs> oh, I had a few others, but shit. Okay. Why don't you why don't you rattle them off and fuck the rest of us too? All right, yeah, let's uh let's go for it. Uh let how about uh America no, no, no. from West Side Story. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> no, no. My name's Mike and uh I would go with um I would go with Seasons of Love from Rent. <laughs> oh, that's so good. That's a good one. Oh, well done. I was going to do a I Just Can't Wait to Be King from The Lion King, but I would play Zazu. <laughs> he would oh, say you, this. You're <laughs> involved in this. <laughs> what? He's a monster. Frankenstein would uh, sing all the Simba parts. So in your version of this scenario, you're on the stage with the Frankenstein's monster and Dr. Frankenstein doing this play? 
I assumed so. How are you going to do the confrontation with one guy? <laughs> I guess I do it all the time. But you're just up there accompanying like uh, Igor. I think yeah. he's. I think he's pointing out the fact that you have inserted yourself into this musical number. It's not just the characters anymore. <laughs> who, who else is going to play this part with Brian? <laughs> Don't it's take personal. this from me. This is my title shot. <laughs> uh, all right. I'm June. And uh, the whole nature of this musical number was to, you know, bring uh, the monster out to the world, say he's not so bad. So in uh, homage to that, I would choose uh, Popular from Wicked. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think of that song, and I couldn't remember the title, so I banged <laughs> uh, A few co- contenders were uh, If I Were a Rich Man. Mm. Or something from the producers to really close the Mel Brooks loop. I thought about getting meta on the doing springtime for Hitler, but <laughs> <laughs> nice. Another. I would like to see. I would like to see tomorrow from Annie done. <laughs> How do you solve a problem like Maria? <laughs> oh God, Frankenstein's Edelweiss. <laughs> I was gonna do sixteen going on seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that would be brutal. Well, there we are. Always look on the bright side of life. <laughs> Cross the streams and go to Monty Python. Yep. Alrighty. So, yeah, like we said, uh, comedy. Uh, Mel Brooks, you know, is famous for a number of movies like um, Spaceballs, The Producers, Blazing Saddles. So this is kind of, you know, right in that same genre. Nothing too shocking about it if you're expecting Mel Brooks. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, so it's, uh, of course, a parody of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. The general premise is uh, Willy Wonka plays uh, Victor Frankenstein's grandson, who has uh, conflicting feelings about his, his legacy. Uh, but I'll hand it over to Mike to kind of take us through what actually happens in the movie. <clears throat> All right, so at the beginning of the film, we start with um, Dr. Frederick uh, Frankenstein, who is a, he's a lecturing physician at a, um, some kind of a medical college. And he is a, a neuroscientist working on brains and talking about, um, how he has kind of disassociated himself with his family's legacy being Dr. Frankenstein, uh, from Transylvania. Um, at the beginning of the film, we find out that he has inherited the castle in Transylvania from his late great grandfather, Doctor Frankenstein, and he uh, he then kind of promptly goes to uh, inspect the uh, the new estate that he just barely inherited from his from the passing. Um, before he leaves, he we meet his fiance, who kind of sees him off at the train station, um, and she is I don't know, kind of like a done up kind of I don't know party girl in the city, and it's. It's kind of not a, a, a great relationship is what it seems, but they are engaged <laughs> to each other. Um, anyway, so he gets on this train and he he travels all the way to Transylvania, um, switching just one train in between there and the United States somehow. Um, arrives in Transylvania where he is met on the, uh, the train platform by a hunchbacked uh, man who... Uh, Dr. Frankenstein refers to as Igor, but it turns out it's Igor's from the the stories that we all know from Frankenstein, Frankenstein's monster, uh, the assistant Igor is, this is his, also his grandson, and he's, he goes by, um, sorry, Igor was the, was the actual assistant of Dr. Frankenstein. This guy goes by the name of Igor, and, uh, he's, he's helping him kind of get his bags together and throws him back at the cart, where we meet, uh, another character who's, um, 
going to be Dr. Frankenstein's assistant. And uh, her name um, is, I wrote this down. Uh, Inga. Inga? Yeah. Yeah, Inga. Inga. Yeah. So Inga's kind of this blonde, kind of ditzy kind of girl who's going to be a or woman who's going to be helping Dr. Frankenstein uh, as, as the assistant. And they, they travel to uh, the castle where they meet the uh, kind of the, the, the land lady, I guess the, the kind of the, um, you know, you would call her, her job title there, but she is this um, a little bit of a homely kind of scary woman whose name was a uh, Frau uh, Blue, Blucher. And she's um, kind of the caretaker of this building. And, and it, it's apparent that she kind of had a relationship with the, uh, past Dr. Frankenstein, who's uh, who was uh, in charge of this place. Dr. Frankenstein, Frederick, I'm just going to call him Frederick from now on, he's, uh, he's interested in finding out what happened to his great-grandfather's work because he was known for, you know, dabbling in bringing and trying to reanimate corpses in this, in this town that they're in. Um, they have, you know, fears and, and of, of there being another Frankenstein in the castle and bringing back another monster that because of all the, you know, the havoc that happened when the original Dr. Frankenstein was there. Um, so during the first night, uh, as there's, as Dr. as Frederick's sleeping, he, he has a nightmare and he's woken by Inga. And uh, they hear a, like a strange violin playing down behind some bookcases. Uh, so Dr. Frederick Franken, Frankenstein, he goes with Inga to kind of search around the castle and try to find where this music's coming from. It leads them behind a, uh, a, secret bookcase that turns into this, you know, kind of secret hallway. And they find uh, Dr. Frankenstein's original laboratory where he had performed the experiments and reanimated the, the original monster. Uh, they aren't able to find who was playing the music, but they, uh, they do find uh, his personal library where there is a book that's, that's titled how I did it, uh, <laughs> which did this movie come out before, uh, OJ. Uh, OJ. Well, yeah, like long before. 20 like, years like way, before. way before. Yeah. <laughs> so. 1974 versus 91. <laughs> I, I, I thought the same thing. <laughs> so that he uh, he finds this book and uh, he through his studies, he finds that it is actually possible. And and he uh, he starts to kind of follow in his grandfather's footsteps. And, and he um, decides he's going to also try to reanimate a corpse uh, just as his grandfather had done. Um Throughout reading the book, they kind of discover that the way to do this is they, they need like an extraordinarily large person who whose organs and, and body size uh, is able to kind of handle the amount of, I guess, electricity that's going to be put through them. Uh, so they go and luckily find that recently a criminal a convict has just been uh, executed uh, who fits kind of the, the the size parameters that they need to be in order to to make this corpse. So they hit. So Frank Frederick and Igor go to the uh, the cemetery after he's buried, dig up the corpse, bring it back to the uh, the castle, and then Frederick sends Igor to the uh, brain depository uh, that this small town has and uh, tells him to get a scientist and a saint, is what he refers to him as, um, brain. And uh, as Igor's there, he kind of, as he sneaks into this building, he, he accidentally scares himself as he's picking up the jar with the brain in it, and he drops it and destroys the, the brain that Frederick wanted. Uh, so instead, he grabs the one right next to it, and the label on that jar was abnormal. Um, so he brings this brain back, doesn't tell Frederick, and Frederick ends up putting this brain in the, in the new uh, creature. The next scene is they, they start to they perform this procedure um, inside of the tower in, in the original um, 
laboratory that 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 the great grandfather had kind of set up and uh they they bring up the monster and the lightning strikes and you know all the shows bells and whistles happen uh but nothing happens and the, the corpse is just still a, a dead corpse and frederick kind of disheveled kind of gives up and they go back to kind of just being you know just regular people i guess living in this castle um at this time we go to the townspeople who they have reservations like i said earlier about frederick being in the castle and another frankenstein uh kind of being there and they start to kind of have this town meeting slash kind of mob mentality of trying to figure out if uh if there's any kind of uh, you know uh, risky stuff going on at the castle, so they they have the inspector of the the town. Um, his name I forgot too. What was the inspector's name? Inspector oh, Kemp. Kemp. Inspector Kemp. 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 So he's this kind of eccentric inspector with a uh, eye patch and a monocle on the same side and a wooden <laughs> arm that he uh, he kind of uses to animate himself. And he goes to meet Frederick at the castle. And introduce himself and kind of you know investigate for the townspeople before people kind of lose their their minds and he he's kind of holding back the mob essentially. So before that happens, while they're eating breakfast, uh, they actually hear the monster making some screaming noises and they didn't realize he had come back to life. So they they run down to Inga, Frederick, and Igor go down to the. Um, I mean, it's this is a comedy movie, right? And so like going through <clears throat> this story and just. It's the story of Frankenstein's monster, essentially. So they go down, find out that it did work. Frankenstein's monster is alive. And um, and yeah, and then after that, uh, it's it's more about trying to keep that uh, secret from the inspector when he shows up. And I think that's about, you know, halfway through the movie at this point. Yeah, um, pretty appointed. I think, I think the, the main plot of this is that it, it is, it's a satire on the old story of, of Frankenstein's monster, right? So all of the... Uh, the seriousness of the plot that I just kind of outlined is is not really what's the fun part about this movie. The, the real plot of this movie is making fun of the seriousness of the uh, the original story of Frankenstein's monster. Yeah, so it's kind of a set up or send up of both like the original story as well as like the five movies that had been made about it to kind of cash in in like the 1950s version of like the Mar- Marvel cash cow. Uh, <laughs> So just kind right. of a send up of those. And it's one of those things where like, you know, it, every scene is a gag and we right. can't really like that's go through it, and discuss and dissect all of the jokes. Cause then it just stops. Yeah. That's why I was, I was having difficult doing this plot summary just because of like explaining why it's Igor instead of Igor is, is, is joke in itself. You know what I mean? Like it's not important to the plot. I, I hope somebody's listening to this podcast who has never seen this movie or a Mel Brooks movie and is just, <laughs> thinks it's like yeah, out of their mind of what the hell we're trying to discuss to them. <laughs> um, I I will say that one of the things I love about this, I love Mel Brooks' humor. How like he plays everything straight, and there's just this weird like childish gags that occur. <laughs> and like uh, for example, when he's walking with Igor, and Igor says, "Walk this way." And he follows him and he goes, no. And he hands him the short cane so that he can walk like Igor. And he wants him <laughs> to mimic how he walks. Just yeah. stupid shit like that. That is so funny in this when it's being played straight. Especially Gene right. Wilder, who is so good at being a comedic actor. Who I don't want to say he's pretending to be a serious actor. But he does that great job at just staying on the line. 
Yeah. yeah. Mel Brooks movies are what I would classify as highbrow, lowbrow. Like they have that <laughs> stupidity to it, but at the same time, it's it's kind of, uh, I don't know, you feel uh, that highbrow kind of humor behind it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not ex- like it's physical, but it's not exactly slapstick. It's, yeah, it's funny because Gene Wilder makes this movie, but he's not the funniest thing about it. Mm mm. Inspector Kemp is. I'd say <laughs> Igor or Igor. You kind of have to understand Mel Brooks, though, because I could definitely see, especially people today who haven't seen this going back, looking at it, thinking it might be corny or what have you, because it's just riddled with puns. Um, <laughs> but I kind of want to reference a point I made for the Avengers where, uh, you know, that movie failed to pick one, right? This movie definitely picked one, and therefore it's it, it works. And mm-hmm. the stylistic choices that Mel Brooks makes in all of his movies, really, I mean, it's it's very consistent with his repertoire. So mm-hmm. I thought it was great. Yeah, it's like this good little blend of... Um... You know, it's kind of clever, but it's not, like, super witty. It's physical, but it's not slapstick. It's kind of goofy, but without being, you know, like, too far. It's like this nice blend of, like, just kind of dumb comedy. (laughs) That (laughs) Yeah, I I see what you mean, Mike, by, like, highbrow, lowbrow, because it's it's kind of stupid, but it's, like, it's like a relief, like a a Mm -hmm. reprieve from, like, thinking movies. And, like, it, it's aware that it's stupid instead of, like, trying to be smart and failing, you know? Yeah. Well, and the comedy is smart because I compare it to, like, comedies nowadays where everyone is just obsessed with, like, improv and free association on screen where no joke has any say or really follow through for the rest of the film. It's just actors saying whatever they think is funny in the moment or just a joke for the mo- sake of the moment. But, like... All his jokes have a purpose, and they show up later, and they they're well thought out. They're they're constructed for the movie, you know. Like yeah, I can see what you mean. It definitely feels that it is completely a hundred percent written, like written out, and uh, you know, intentional. Yeah, like anytime he says, "What's her name?" Frau Frau Blucher, <laughs> and the horses all freak out in the background, <laughs> like every time for the rest of the film. <laughs> <laughs> and then um just things like that and then obviously like frankenstein's penis size comes to play later. <laughs> that's like a solid 30 percent of the jokes in this movie <laughs> true <laughs> well uh, yeah it, going back to what you're saying as far as like kind of the breakdown of this film how it feels uh good in a lot of ways being highbrow lowbrow and all that he also melbrick did it or well, i should say the people who produced this movie and made this movie did a great job of keeping that um, that old feel to it, it like it being an homage to an old uh, 1920s, 30s, and 40s, and 50s monster movie um, had that, you know, grainy black and white. I know, June, you don't particularly like when a film intentionally does black and white, but if, in the sense of intentionally making it an homage in, in a way of satire, though, I'm interested to hear what you feel about that. Yeah, okay, so at the risk of being, you know, rest in peace, whatever, with Peter Bogdanovich, but, like... <laughs> fuck that the guy. Last pi- <laughs> it's okay, he's not gonna get insulted. He can't listen to this. The Last Picture Show gained absolutely fucking nothing by making it black and white. Agreed. Right? This movie was in reference to a very old story shot in the style, the style of, you know, a, the classic horrors, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, it's definitely in reference to that. 
and it's like it's it's fine but like and funny yeah again but with this and fucking paper moon or whatever and we haven't seen that yet but like why what is what did that have to gain right <laughs> yeah yeah i'll say black and white made it even funnier at sometimes too because there were times where like igor was just a floating head in the screen <laughs> moving <laughs> around well, um, i liked igor's character because mel brooke always has a he always likes to break the fourth wall in his movies yeah um and in igor igor was that character in this where he kept I don't I don't actually particularly in, enjoy when a character breaks the fourth wall. I think it's a little bit of low hanging fruit there, but I think Igor did it in a good way where Igor almost was he almost was aware that he was in a movie and that, that made that funny. <laughs> yeah, it's he was almost totally removed from the plot. I, I <laughs> thought he was constantly hilarious. Like and he was unfazed by anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> except women. <laughs> it's like he was aware he was in a movie <laughs> and there's, there's such there's such good bits in this film like uh when they're riding in uh on the on the wagon it, 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 there's a couple of little jokes that i just want to call out this being i don't know i think the betters of the of the ones in the movies where they're coming in they're riding in and uh they hear a wolf howling and inga's like a werewolf and oh, um <laughs> werewolf. like werewolf oh, yeah. and Igor's like their wolf. Their <laughs> like, castle. <laughs> Their castle. <laughs> yeah, I like at the at the core of all of this to to sum it all up. That like somebody said it was self aware, and this movie is the uh, the personification of that term, right? Like even from its inception, um, the idea of a Frankenstein movie was pitched to. Uh, Mel Brooks and it was just like hey there's already like four of these things there's there's no way and then it was kind of like well what if we do a satire on it and so that's that kind of goes into every little piece to, to even include like the black and white right because the other four or five Frankenstein movies were all black and white so naturally uh, this would you know as well and then um, it almost sat satirized is that a word satirized yeah to uh it almost satirized the uh the horror genre as a whole uh which i thought was great uh, uh, uh the horror genre of the time yeah also it did the kind of kept true to the the old painted background kind of you know what i mean like the the set mm-hmm. design where it had mm-hmm. um the castle when they're riding up is that obvious yep. old school painted background kind of scene yeah yeah it i don't know i enjoy that if a movie could wink at you, this movie would be winking at you in every scene. Oh, yeah. yeah. And Marty Feldman did literally wink at you in this movie. <laughs> no, like, <laughs> yeah, he would just, like, look at you. Even the scenes where uh, the, the gags are just so dumb with Marty Feldman, and I love all of them, where, you know, like, they look at the, the heads that's, like, you know, one year dead, six oh, months yeah. dead, freshly dead, and it's just... Igor sitting <laughs> with his head on the shelf. Um, the the freaking uh the door that says after five p.m. leaves brain leave brains in the slot. <laughs> yes, <laughs> slide brains to the door. This oh, is so the, many silly jokes. The physical comedy is so good in this. Like the first scene, right, is um, you know, Gene Wilder, uh, Frederick Frankenstein lecturing a. Uh, a medical school class right and he gets all worked up and jams a scalpel into his leg and the way it's executed is just so perfect because there's like this beat 
and he like crosses his legs <laughs> and yeah it it is not even remotely as close to funny explaining it as it is watching it but even like the dumb stuff like it's not slapstick but the physical comedy, like Igor scaring himself with his own hand, reaching through that brain slot in the door, is <laughs> it's just hilarious. You can tell that Mel Brooks is more of a playwright that started to make movies because like this, the comedy and everything plays like a play where it's more visual hmm. and you don't rely on like cinematography or anything to like assist the joke. It's just kind of happening like... Uh, when they're going through the woods and everyone's like searching through the woods and one guy runs into a tree. <laughs> it's just simple stuff like that that you could see totally working on the stage and he just adapts it to film. You, I mean, uh, you get the air that they had fun making this movie. Hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. There's and we get to share in that as as viewers. Mm-hmm. Even a lot of jokes in this were improvised, like uh, Igor's whole... Igor. <laughs> uh, his whole, like, uh, his, what do you call it? His hunch, shifting from left shoulder to right shoulder between oh, yeah. scenes. That was improvised. I guess Marty Feldman was just doing that on the set <laughs> until the other actors noticed. <laughs> it just got written into the movie. <laughs> You know, it's 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 interesting that this movie is on the top two fifty list, coming after you know a lot of movies that are proclaimed for having great writing or great story. This is just a a remake of an old monster movie, but it's done so well that it's definitely um, should be a part of kind of the the best kind of movies of of our generation and time. Well, the writing is good. Um, the, I mean, I get what you're saying, Shane. This isn't like a you know relying on like smash cuts or whatever to you know, for comedy, but there's still some funny cinematography just with like super close-ups and I mean, mostly just close-ups of people in really funny <laughs> moments. But. Mel Brooks is one of these, these guys that I've always thought of his movies as being fantastic, but I can't for the life of me know why. Like I, they're, I mean, I don't want to insult the movie and I'm not saying this, but they're dumb and that, but in a good way, you know? Yeah, they are dumb. I yeah. think Mel Brooks would tell you they're dumb. <laughs> right. That's true. Yeah, he wouldn't even be insulted by that. That's their, I mean, that's their charm. He made Spaceballs, which has Pizza the Hut. <laughs> like, <laughs> you can't tell me this is clever, highbrow comedy. Yeah, it's almost as we're breaking it down, though. It's like I'm kind of realizing how bad. Well, not bad. It's very difficult. It's it's a conundrum talking about Mel Brooks. It's silly. But it's it's also somehow better than like all of the stupid, like scary uh, movie you know uh, send-ups yeah. of yeah. you know the 2000s right like those are dumb but mm -hmm. stupid this is dumb but great yeah. you know and this is one of his more reserved ones like if you compare this to like blazing saddles and um like space balls producers stuff like that um this has less of that joke every 10 seconds feel and more mm -hmm. like yeah i agree I don't know, more, I don't know, the word, more movie. I don't know, like, it, less spoof, more movie. Mm -hmm. That uh, almost makes it funnier because it's, it is, it, so since it is an homage to an, uh, another movie, those other movies like Blazing Saddles and, you know, Spaceballs, they're all making fun of other movies as well, but this mm -hmm. one does in a way of trying to keep the seriousness of a monster movie, but is making it just blatantly obvious that it's not serious. Yeah, and 
it, it's really funny and it, it's really clear how well executed the parody is when you know if you've seen stuff like uh nosferatu or you know those old silent era horror movies that this is parodying it's uh yeah it just comes together in such a funny way like it's so spot on uh well, and yeah and it's so mel brooks is so clever at let i love it when directors let the audience you just kind of be and they don't smash you over the head with what they're trying to like say is funny like my my favorite example in this is to show that frankenstein has intelligence instead of like doing some dramatized thing or having Frankenstein, yeah to show that he has intelligence he has him do a musical tap dance to show he has coordination <laughs> and like not catch a ball or you know gets hit in the face or something there's just so many other things that you would see and that you wouldn't expect and he doesn't address it at all it's not like he goes like and now we're gonna do this and you have a moment to look he just does it and you're just sitting there thinking how stupid this is <laughs> can i can i run through just the the plot real quick just to get out of the way i feel like it's not yeah, you know yeah. just for anybody who hasn't seen this movie yet or hasn't read the original book of dr frankenstein's monster or frankenstein's monster so the uh we uh, all essentially what happens at the end is after the uh, the monster comes to life he is released by the uh the, the housekeeper um frau blucher <laughs> Yeah, Bell, Bell Brooks. <laughs> Mel, Mel Brooks. <laughs> Brooks. So the monster. Just cut that, put that in post. Uh, so the monster escapes and um, starts to kind of run around the countryside, and uh, doesn't really cause any havoc though. Uh, but anyways, he he's he's lured back to the castle by uh, Frederick using the same song that was on the violin that kind of soothes the monster, um, and he then goes and and tries to prove to uh this the town and, and the scientific community that the monster is not a monster and is actually can be intelligent and that's when he has a musical number to kind of show that what shane was talking about uh during <laughs> this scene though it, 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 it some lights break and it causes the monster to freak out and starts to kind of go on a rampage and he's captured by the uh, the townspeople and he's put in chains and locked up um the monster ends up breaking out of his chains again and escapes but uh, in the but before that uh, or so say simultaneously, uh, Frederick back at the castle, he um, his fiance shows up early to come and visit him, and the monster kind of comes back and uh, uh, kidnaps uh, Frederick's fiance and takes her out into the woods. And uh, Frederick decides that what he's going to do is he's going to actually use his his own brain to try to uh, give the monster a bit more intelligence and try to kind of even out the, the bad brain, the abnormal brain that's in his, in his head. And uh, again, similarly, they use the song again, lure the monster back to the castle and uh, the, the townspeople will form a mob and they come to raid the castle while he's performing this experiment. And he transfers some of his own brain over to the monster, which at the last moment, the, the mob breaks in and the, he, they luckily finish the experiment. And now Frankenstein's monster is now um, it, it, you know has the ability to to talk and and kind of shows the people that he's not a scary monster anymore everybody accepts him and is a happy ending where the monster ends up moving in with uh Frederick's old fiance who and uh, Frederick ends up with uh his, 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 his the assistant Inga that's the end of the movie the end and at all that time, at one point, Inspector Kemp is used as a battering ram. 
(laughs) 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 So the whole gag with Inspector Kemp, one of the gags is that like he has this prosthetic wooden arm that he slaps around and manipulates that i can't explain why it's funny it just is it's so well done because it's his real arm so the the actor whoever played inspector kemp did a great job of making it look i mean what a bit that is just being able to slap his arm around and make all those different movements with it was great yeah all of the cast did so well in this even he had that german accent throughout the whole thing so they're in transylvania which was another funny thing that was never you know, hit on the nose, but did you notice that everybody in the town was had a British accent? Yes. Except for like a couple of people who had a thick German accent and nobody yeah. could understand them. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, I just I was losing it when they were just battering him through doors. <laughs> and he's like, there it is, get the monster. Oh <laughs> uh. yeah, it's good to see just all the kind of more enigmatic elements uh, i mean we obviously mel brooks is you know known kind of for that but even like like cloris leachman seeing her in a comedic role mm-hmm. uh, comedic role um killed it and yeah i mean like, <laughs> this this movie is just like you want it to if for some reason it does not induce a cringe even though it should you know yeah yeah, yeah. there was only yeah. one part that was kind of cringy and i think it's only through maybe modernized that it gets cringier but even then I, I know, yeah i know what you're getting at and i i would love to see what kind of audience reaction was in the 70s yeah i don't know because like, yeah the scene for me was also like uh i don't i don't know about this one but i, I think it i think it probably would have been taken the same way just just to <laughs> not talk around it i assume we're talking about the scene where uh, the monster essentially exposes himself to uh <laughs> it's probably put the most like charitably yeah he exposes yeah. himself to uh elizabeth and she comes around to his charms to put it one way <laughs> yeah um, and while it was the closure of the penis joke yeah uh, well that was the set final up at- closure <laughs> yeah that one that was set up very early on. I just don't know that it added to it. You know, that was yeah, one of it, the that was kind of one of the scenes that pulled you out a little bit. Yeah, it was a little bit borderline. I, I would say that, to answer your question though, people how they received that back in the seventies. I don't think that's that kind of. I think it wouldn't have changed. I think they would have received it the same way we did. I think it was kind of shocking at the very beginning. Like, I get the joke, but damn, like <laughs> you had yeah. to sell that joke like that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think even of like other movies. It felt like it was just more, like, acceptable then. Like, even if you go watch, like, The Empire Strikes Back, where, you know, it's like Leia doesn't want to kiss Han, and he's like, shut up, kiss me. And she's like, oh, okay, I guess. You know, it's like, eh. It feels like there's a lot of that sentiment in older movies that has not really translated into the 21st century well. Uh, So that was definitely a bit of a rough spot. But yeah, that's like the only even mild thing I had with this film. Everything else was total hit for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the the final punchline of this being that uh oh, that's in their <laughs> brain transplant, he he like they strapped to a table and put these helmets on and Gene Wilder transplants or Frankenstein transplants more intelligence to the monster and in turn gets a bigger dong so 
And the monster gets <laughs> like, the monster gets to be miserably married. I know. <laughs> you know, as far as like the type of movies that Mel Brooks wrote, it's it's interesting that I should say surprising is the better word that he never had any kind of scandals come up. Like I never heard oh, anything yeah. about Mel Brooks being, you know. I think because it was it was very self aware. Um, yeah. Right, like Blazing Saddles, probably the the most guilty of uh, contentiousness, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in the sense that it was it was done with that in mind, if that makes sense. You know, that it was wasn't the like point. Yeah. it wasn't yeah, it wasn't a subconscious like racism or some shit coming out. Right, it was like that was the whole point. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I more mean, along the lines of somebody like um, Woody Allen, right? Like he did the same kind of stuff, and he turned out to be a complete d bag. Yeah, well, but I would say that would say that was subconscious Woody Allen coming out. Of the movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think we watched it, Annie Hall, and and <laughs> yeah, yeah, you you could see Woody Allen coming through on that one all the way. Um, I I don't know. I mean, Mel Brooks is kind of funny because his uh, like I hate to use the term woke, you know, in this context, but he makes kind of woke movies that are really offensive. <laughs> I like the old way we used to say woke, which was ahead of his time. Ah, yeah. ah yes. Jesus. Let's bring it back. He, he was both ahead of and behind his time. And I don't want to stray too far from uh, Young Frankenstein because I could also talk about Blazing Saddles a lot, which is one movie that I'm super disappointed isn't on this list. Yeah. But do you he, think maybe... I said I was I was gonna ask. Do you think maybe the reason Blazing Saddles not on this is it was more on the nose, more contentious, as you were saying? And this one was, I think Shane, you were saying it felt a little bit drawn back, or maybe it's June. I remember one of you guys was saying it felt a little bit less Mel Brooksy. It's more reserved for. I don't think so. I think it's just by sheer uh, popularity. I think Blazing Saddles has become more cult, hmm. um, whereas I would say the majority of the world has seen Young Frankenstein. Yeah. Yeah. I'd also say that of all of Mel Brooks's movies, I think um, Young Frankenstein might be the best without getting like hoity-toity. Like, I feel like it's the most best cinema as opposed to, you know, some of the others, which are just really good comedies. Well, Gene Wilder gives legit... Oh, yeah, good. I was just going to say, there's also a chance that it was one or one or the other for a lot of people because I think the, they came out in the same year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they, they literally came out in the same year. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, Gene Wilder in this film actually gives a pretty good performance. Like, he does a good job. Like, he does a lot of... He does a good job at, like, delivering those comedic lines, but he also gives some, like, monologues and some stuff that he's actually, you know acting he's doing a good job on screen and you're like oh this is he's he's very dramatic which sells his comedy later like when he's given that whole like this monster needs love and no matter what happens and he gets in there and he's like mommy (laughs) i think gene wilder's always in my opinion been considered a really good actor he i mean he's in a lot of good movies besides comedies. He, he plays great. Uh, he's, he's a great comedian. But on top of that, he's also a very good actor. That monologue where he's doing the speech about life when he's being raised up to to shoot the lightning into the monster mm-hmm. was, yeah. was, was damn good. He had a – watching this movie definitely reminded me how good he was. And he's got a range. You know, he, he knew when to ham it up. He knew when to reel it in. He could sell 
you know, his, his role and what his character was doing through like little things or through big things. He's, yeah. he's do, just he can do slapstick comedy with the yeah. arm where there's the corpse's arm and he's talking to the inspector. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He, he could, yeah, he, he can do it all. I mean, I, I struggle to think of actors that I enjoy more than Gene Wilder. Well, in this, I mean, he's the, he's the original Wonka. Yeah. Yeah. This movie also does like really good, like in-depth writing, which is how these jokes pay off. Like the first time he goes up to the roof on that, like pulley system is to make the monster. And then the next time you see him coming down with Inga and now he's just cheated on his fiance and he's smoking a cigarette. Now he kind of is the monster. Hmm. So like there's these like, yeah, there's like these little writing things that you see, but that's it's played more as comedic, but it's still, as like a famous person once said, that your brain notices it, but you don't. Mm. Um, I just thought it was a cool place for them to go up and do that. I mean, it would be cool. <laughs> yeah, I just yeah. want to watch more Gene Wilder stuff now. Yeah, it's excellent. It's kind of hard going from Avengers, where we're just nonstop hammering into oblivion to young Frankenstein we're like yeah it's great you know that's funny you brought that up because I was about to actually say something I didn't like about Gene Wilder is like as far as him being a great actor and everything and a great comedian sure but his movies are um, they're older obviously and they feel older and as far as my attention span goes I get kind of bored during his movies right like the young this this movie young young Frankenstein I kind of half watched it to be honest with you guys like it's almost like a good background movie it definitely is paced like it's from 1974 because there mm-hmm. there were times where, you know, it was pretty riveting and there's, you know, stuff happening every scene. And then there are times at the end where, you know, it's kind of like you can kind of check out for a bit. It, it's a tough movie, though, because I feel like there is a lot of stuff where if you, you know, if you look away for too long, you'll miss some super funny thing that's happening on the screen that isn't, you know, explicitly called out. Yeah. If this were my first time viewing it and I, you know, it was a late night, you know, you have a, a drink or two and sit down and actually watch it again, being the first watch through, I think I would it would have been great. And I would have it a lot higher up from where I will be eventually putting this. But right now, me seeing it as a kid and growing up with it and, you know, watched it who knows how many times it was it's lost its, um, you know, lust and muster for me. Mm-hmm. What I'm hearing is you want Joss Whedon's younger Frankenstein. <laughs> Joss Whedon's Frankenstein. Oh my god. Joss Whedon's young Frankenstein would be the worst movie conceivable. Be the quippiest monster you ever fucking met. Oh. Get get Michael Bay in there and, and we we'll, we got a film. <laughs> if I were to if I were to pick a gripe about this movie, it's just everybody yelled a lot. There was a lot of yelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just I it was, I don't know, kind of hurt the ears. To include <laughs> Mel Brooks, who, uh, so they have this the scene where they're throwing the darts and Frankenstein is getting more and more unnerved and just throws them all over the place. Mm-hmm. And when he totally misses one, Mel, Mel Brooks just improvised a cat yelping, which <laughs> made it into the movie. <laughs> um, can anyone, I don't know why um, Elizabeth, is that her name? Her hair changed yeah. through the film, right? So, like, first she got gray streaks that showed up, and then by the that end, was that I, was just I, th- I think that was just 
paying homage to uh, the Bride of Frankenstein, where she had that weird, okay. crazy white and black hair. Okay, yeah. I just didn't get that joke then, because I was like, "What the? F- what?" I was like, "This is something," but I'm not getting it. <laughs> yeah, I I suspect there are even a lot of jokes in here that are homages to movies I haven't seen that I didn't even pick up. Yeah, for sure. And then, and it was it's almost like Mel Brooks's childhood because he would have been a kid when the original uh frankenstein came out right so there has to be something there that we're missing as a you know a hundred year old movie almost that we just i have never seen have you guys seen the original black and white frankenstein or bride of frankenstein i've never seen those monster movies Um, i I think we've all seen clips of them enough to be aware of the og frankenstein but i don't know that i'd go out of my way to like watch it you know yeah um, that being said, though, it's it's interesting to see that a this movie, which is clearly a spoof of those movies, continues to be referenced in movies that are newer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I get what you're saying. So, kind of, this is, I mean, when I think of Frankenstein now, I do think of this movie more so than those other ones. Yeah, like another, another movie, or a movie that comes out today isn't going to reference Scary Movie. Yeah. Right. It right. might reference Scream, but you know, so it's interesting to see that a spoof has become so iconic that um, it has become a what's the word? An icon, legacy. I guess. Yeah, legacy. I I feel like this is just quintessential Mel Brooks. Like I I can't think of any spoofs off the top of my head that are more iconic than the the parodies and spoofs that Mel Brooks has done. Well, I've even seen the scene, like, just that general... I think it shows up every Oscar night, is um, when Gene Wilder and Inga are, like, looking up together at the camera, kind of embracing each other. That's, like, always referenced. I see it everywhere, all the time. And that, like you said, is from a spoof. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're referencing a lover's embrace from it. Like, <laughs> So, June... Or not June, uh, Jack, going off of what you were just barely saying, that's... Uh, so, yeah, there's not a lot of films... When these days, uh, when um, even the past 20 years, when they do make a parody movie, like they, they try to do one for like the Hunger Games and they had like not another not another teen movie and like all that. They all felt stupid funny, like they were funny, but they were stupid and they were that lowbrow. They never felt like they were witty or smart. But Mel Brooks films do have that feeling. They have that. It is a spoof. It's supposed to be dumb, but it still felt, I don't know, the, the, they had that feeling of being still a, a good movie. Yeah. We don't get those anymore. I can't think of one spoof movie that's been made recently or in the past 20 years that was any yeah. good. I mean, it's I can think of... Go on ahead. So I was going to say, it's just unfortunate that spoofs today are typically, you know, I don't, whether intentionally or not, shot in a B-movie style. Um, and they're literally spoofs, whereas mm-hmm. this is more of a, uh, I don't know, like a deeper reference. So like... It's I, like I a send like, of a genre. Yeah, so I liken it to things like the cabin in the woods, right? Yeah, where mm-hmm. it's a, a satire on a um, a genre as a whole, or things like even things like Zombieland, you know, they kind mm-hmm. of tackle a uh, a popular uh, genre. Versus, they hit on the uh, yeah, yeah they, those type of movies hit on uh, the cliches, and that's that, I like that. Yeah, yes, that, that's yeah, true. Yeah. And I guess that's yeah. a good way to say Mel Brooks' film is they were just kind of making fun of the cliches of that. So, yeah, okay. Yeah, I retract yeah, that. I don't know. I mean, to the point, it's, you know, I'm looking at a couple and refreshing my memory. And, like, yeah, there there are other good, you know, spoofs and parodies. But 
so few of them become larger than the film they're parroting itself, like you said, June. So many of them are just making fun of one particular movie and just cashing in on the hype of something else. But, but on that vein too, like Spaceballs yeah, space was a balls. direct, yeah. you know, spoof, yeah. and that's still like good. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Spaceballs I mean, is like, almost its own thing, though. Yeah, like it is making fun of Star Wars, but it's so far fetched and different that it's it's its own but type of movie. That's the thing. Like if someone made a an Avengers parody, right? Like who who makes movies like that now that are? I don't need to make a parody of the Avengers, am I right? <laughs> nice, <laughs> but um. Sh- oh yeah (laughs) um to the point of parodies i mean hot fuzz i think is maybe Mm. you know a recent Uh, one that's a parody of a good genre good reference Um, i mean the the ultimate parody and i've talked about this before is airplane but that's also from the same era almost Mm -hmm. and airplane Okay, we can't talk about airplane. We need to do an episode on airplane, but <laughs> One day. yeah, Mel Brooks can make comedies that or parodies like Blazing Saddles, like Spaceballs, like uh, like Young Frankenstein that somehow become even bigger or standalone Iconic. movies that you know like somehow go beyond their their source material. Um, yeah, I don't know about you guys, but. It was refreshing to watch a movie from this list that didn't have an agenda. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just, it just a nice blind watch. Yeah, right. Just was this a good was this a first time viewing for any of you? It was this for was you, mine. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. I had seen it and like as a you know when the substitute teacher was a TV. <laughs> but, yeah, but you guys showed like, this in 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 like grade school. Dick jokes and all. Yeah, huh? there's a very good chance that it, it was one of the um. What were those clean flicks or whatever the fuck the oh the uh, shit that was big in Utah at the time? <laughs> yeah, where they edited out all the bad stuff. Yeah, I don't uh, because I don't recall the uh, the exposition scene. The the so, rolling the hay and uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so I, I would I would consider this my first viewing. This definitely yeah. was my first viewing. I had never seen this movie before, and I love Mel Brooks. How did it hit as a first time seeing it? It was amazing. I loved it. Um, cool. But I'm I'm so important. Like I have such a bend towards Mel Brooks, though. Like I have yet to see anything by Mel Brooks, and I'm like, eh. Like he's one of my all time favorites. So I I already kind of knew I'd like it going in, and yeah, I loved it. It's different though, because normally I expect like his bombastic every second. There's a new joke being set up or mm-hmm. attacked this was definitely his most subdued piece i've seen yeah and i liked it because uh, it's in black and white i get it yeah. 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 <laughs> take that part um, i'll uh i'll lead that into a, a production note that i have mm-hmm. so mike you mentioned my the the black and white thing a while ago i i posit a theory that Mel Brooks originally took this movie to Columbia Pictures. And when they found out that he wanted to film in black and white, they said, fuck no. And my theory is that Columbia Pictures, like three years ago, had just distributed the last picture show. <laughs> and they were like, oh no, not this shit again. Oh, it's Jesus. We can't do it anymore. <laughs> so then he went to, then Mel Brooks went to 20th Century Fox, who ended up distributing it. But that's my theory. Isn't it? 
I could see that. It's actually the case that the studio tried to get him to not shoot it in black and white. That was Columbia originally, and then Fox was mm, like, fine, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> the rest Which was history. it would not have been nearly as good in no. color. Yeah. It would have um, missed the mark on what it was trying to do. Yeah, like it would... It's like well, kind of like a core concept. be like making the last picture show in black and white. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, this... Unless people want to talk about some other stuff in the movie, this does seem like a pretty good point to sort of talk about production and reception and that kind of stuff. Let's do it. Some things to talk about, you know, so this was, I think, uh, Gene Wilder's idea initially. I think they kind of pitch for it was like the train station scene where he meets Igor for the first time. And that made him the film almost entirely intact. Yeah, I think, uh, ooh, what was I reading? I read a lot of stuff. And so a lot of things about like Willy Wonka blurred with this. But this movie was successful. And like you mentioned, June, this came out the same year as Blazing Saddles, which is a super busy year uh, for Mel Brooks and Gene Wilder. I think there was almost a bit of like, okay, I'll do Blazing Saddles if you make Young Frankenstein between the two of them. Mel Brooks has stated that this was his, not his funniest, but his best movie as a writer-director. And I think Gene Wilder has said it was, it was his favorite of the movies he's done. So, you know, the people who made it liked it. The Walk This Way gag was inspiration for the song Walk This Way by Aerosmith. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, it's been made into a musical. Why was uh, why was what's your name like singing the Battle Hymn of the Republic? I don't know. I was wondering like, why too. was Elizabeth. <laughs> like why why was that the song? <laughs> you know, to each their own. Whatever. I mean, I I, I I I wish she had she had more parts. She's a fantastic actress or actor, and I like her her style of comedy in these films. She's she's in a bunch of other Mel Brooks Mel Brooks ones too. Uh huh. Yeah, she's in Blazing Saddles as well. Um, mm-hmm. Oof. She has such a small role in this film. Yeah. She was also in Paper Moon. Ugh. I bet she's not as funny in Paper Moon. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, people generally liked this movie. It was well-received when it came out. And uh, it was nominated for two Oscars, Adapted Screenplay and uh, Best Sound. And... Uh, trying to pull up the uh the oscars for 1974 was there no war movies up against what's up was there no war movies they always win sound editing (laughs) i thought you said born movies (laughs) (laughs) no born movies this can't hold a candle to any of the borns (laughs) so what what do we say uh best uh screen so this was in the category of screenplay adapted from other material i think because it was a parody of the story of frankenstein (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it lost out to The Godfather Part 2. Oh, cheap. <laughs> yeah, it's... Yeah. And uh, Best Sound, it lost I mean, that, out that to... That is a pretty good movie. <laughs> Earthquake, which I think has been collectively forgotten by the universe. Oh, that old gem. I don't know what Earthquake was about. I assume an earthquake. It's, it's a disaster movie. Uh, it was like a decade of disaster movies. 90s yeah. went through one of those, too. Do you guys remember like the Volcano movies that came out? I think it was called Volcano great well, had, uh, <laughs> had pierce brosnan in it <laughs> not to get back to it but this was the the decade that created enough airplane disaster movies to result in the movie airplane <laughs> so yeah it's the 70s were just full of them 
So the budget was 2.6 million, brought in about 120 million. So wow, whoa, yeah, successful merchandising. Um, the I, I <laughs> <Merchant>. think <laughs> merchandising um, in a role literally played by Mel Brooks. This one was a standout uh, because Mel Brooks actually didn't really perform in it much. Usually, Mel Brooks cameos or acts in his movies. You know, but, I kept uh, looking for him, and I same. never saw him. Yeah, he wasn't really in here, which is kind of unusual for him. He was the voice of the original Dr. Frankenstein when, oh. when he shows up at the lab. Oh. Sorry, I said that wrong. This one is $2.7 million budget and $86 million at box office. I was looking at Blazing Saddles by mistake, oh, that which was... Oh, sorry. was also a successful movie. came out in the same year, but... God, yeah, that's is... a lot of profit for... Good Lord. That's yeah. another joke I just hit me. Is the portraits the same age as him? <laughs> and it's his grandfather. So that means like they're the exactly the same age at the same time. Like of the portrait. Wait, what? Nothing. What? I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's hitting well, me wrong. Well, you see, Shane, the thing about portraits is that <laughs> they're painted. They're timeless. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think a better joke would no, have been no, the fact hold that on. We, we can't just walk past the point that <laughs> I, Shane literally <laughs> thinks his grandfather and him are alive at the same time you mean that corpse in the beginning in the in the uh, coffin <laughs> you know just move move on I messed up here <laughs> <laughs> Some thoughts. does that mean we can forget about salt shakers now no <laughs> we're not letting either of you live this down <laughs> It is funny though on on kind of what you're saying um that uh the uh the housekeeper lady was you know in a relationship with the great grandfather and she was pretty young and he would have been a great grandfather and ancient never mind let's move on I thought it was just the grandfather great grandfather was was Dr. Frankenstein who had the monster <sighs> What <laughs> No, it was so, just his grandfather. So this movie made a lot of money, yeah? <laughs> How about those bucks? Let's just move on. So uh, <laughs> the actor who played Villager Screaming at the Monster was a uh, man named Clement von Frankenstein. Um, so that kind of closes the loop there. Oh. Yeah, just a little, little tidbit there. And June, you said um, Gene Hackman was the blind guy, right? Yeah, yeah, Gene Hackman was the blind guy, huh. so he made it in. Yeah, there's some kind of funny story behind that, but I can't parse it from the stuff I'm reading because I can't like immediately tell apart what's talking about him and what's talking about Gene Wilder because it all refers to them by first name. Mm. So allegedly, Gene Hackman and Gene Wilder play tennis together. Mm. And Hackman was like, I want to be in your movie because I want to try some comedy and I'll do it for free. And then they did. <laughs> and so he prayed for a companion. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. So um with that said, I think uh there there remains only one thing, which is the the part we've all been waiting for, which is the part where we rank it among the other movies we've seen, which is a non trivial amount now. It's almost to the point where it's too big for me to get in one one window to screenshot for us. So of the 39 movies we've seen so far, June, where do you rank it? Oh my God. Hold on. Yeah. Just uh, read you a list of 39 real quick. 
<laughs> oh boy. Oof. Um. Okay. I'm gonna do this off a semi-cursory glance here, but I think I'm gonna put it at number thirteen between Rio Bravo and The King's Speech. It was a, a great, great movie. Great movie, but there's uh there's so much more. There's so much. So many substantial movies that kind of sit above that threshold for me. So I would say, you know, this is kind of how you say it, Jack, like the the best of the rest, if you will. Yeah. So yeah, 13. Shane? Yeah, that's what we're running into now is like you have these grandiose movies that are sitting at the top. And it if you don't really have that, it's tough to even break into that. Um, I think I keep saying this every time is I don't remember liking The Incredibles that much, but goddamn... As <laughs> I keep climbing up, and I go, really? I must really like that. <laughs> Mine's gonna sit above JFK at number nine, just under Magnolia. Really? Okay. I, I like. I have a soft spot for comedies, especially Mel Brooks comedies, and I think it has a lot of merit. Um, but once you hit Magnolia, that's when I start to. That's like kind of my grandiose stuff. To include the Incredibles. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the cream. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Mike, where do you put this? Um, <clears throat> I'm actually struggling with this one. It is a good movie. I do like it, but I, I think it's going to sit right underneath The Martian and above Dances with Wolves for me. So that's number, that's pretty close to what June and, and Shane are at, about 11. No, it's, that's 12 for me, sorry. Okay. Uh, right above The Martian? No, right below the Martian, above Dances with Wolves. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, and honestly, I think <laughs> it's kind of funny because I think we're all ranking it relative to other movies very similarly. <laughs> I think it was right around where I put the Martian and Rio Bravo, a little worse than The Incredibles. <laughs> so I'm going to put it at number eight for me, which is actually fairly high. But, you know, this I think is um, it's a top list movie, top quarter movie. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely among the better movies we've seen as part of this. Um, Absolutely. Definitely not the best, but I think, you know, uh, among... Yeah, it, it's a really good one. And I know I, I feel like this is the kind of comedy I was raised on. Um, this is like a sense of humor that just makes me laugh. And yeah, I, I don't know what more to say about that. It's it's just a good movie. I think so, this is is sitting up on where it's at on my list because I know there's going to be movies that are going to beat it, but I don't want to put it so low that it's going to be near these terrible movies near the bottom of the list. Mike's placing movies. It will move movies. down my list. <laughs> You're um, preemptively I'm, placing I'm, movies so you can knock them down. I'm looking forward to the future. <laughs> He's, his, his list is the minority report of rankings. <laughs> You're just precogging it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm giving it I'm giving it pre-justice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh catching it in thought crime. Um So, final verdict, you know, do you recommend watching this movie, June? Yeah, and I can say so without any kind of nostalgic bias as well. I think it's as as a comedy standalone, I think it's a must-see. Yeah. Makes sense. Shane? Absolutely. Everyone should see it. It's a great movie. Mike? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's this one's worth watching. Uh, you don't need to put any qualifiers on yeah, it. No. None. <laughs> you don't need to say like if you like this or if you like that or if you don't hate this. It's just I would say, I would say if you want to if you want to heighten it a little bit though, you know, watch in the evening 
after you've had a couple of drinks and it'll be a lot funnier. <laughs> um, if, if you're into that, if you're into that, everybody's into that these days. So <laughs> not a lot of people what? are into evenings. <laughs> we're, yeah, we're all into watching movies in the evenings. Evenings are real big right now. If you're one of those kids these days who likes movies. Truthfully, I watch most of my movies in the mornings now. Right before this podcast. Yeah, right before the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta get it fresh. Um, All right, well, uh, this has been fun. Uh, Join us next time. We'll be watching 12 Monkeys, which is a movie by Terry Gilliam. Uh, But I don't believe it's a comedy. So it it should be a good one. Uh, Yeah, I have heard of it. I am not enormously familiar with it and have any of you seen 12 monkeys before i've attempted three times uh, never finished it this, i think it's our first bruce willis though right this is the bruce willis one yeah, yeah this is from the era where bruce willis tried yeah 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 this is a i i, I remember liking this movie i think <laughs> uh bruce willis madeline stowe brad pitt christopher Plummer, and david morse yeah this is a weird one yeah, buckle up yeah. Made by a, a former Python, so that there you go. yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. Terry Gilliam was a uh, of Monty Python. Oh, but he wasn't a literal Python. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, but this movie, this movie was is made not by a, a comedy. Former snake <laughs> <laughs> and not a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we need to get one of those in. <laughs> Sorry, mom. <laughs> <laughs> all right all righty everyone well this has been great we'll catch you for the next one and uh i'll talk to you next week or thereabouts <laughs>